Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think they're a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we talk about scary movies for the entire month of October because the world is not scary enough as it is. Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. And how are you this fine Saturday morning? We're actually recording a bit earlier, but it is the same time for you. It is. I know. It's great. It's like, yeah, we'll still do it at nine. It'll just not be noon for you. <laughs> so. so I won't be really hungry through the entire episode. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I will be because it's breakfast time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm great. I decided to take off and take a little vacation. So I am not in California at the moment. I'm in the beautiful state of Utah, and here people like to pretend there is no COVID, but I'm staying with friends who still take it seriously, so. That is good. Yeah, so we've been hunkering at their house and just having hours and hours of great conversation, because that's what we do. Oh, last night, um, we actually went down to a studio and recorded. I told you that I was saving my very scariest story for a different podcast and we told it last night it was really fun oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> is it another like oh by the way i grew up in a town where there were multiple murders and i'm the actual killer or something like that no this one's actually a ghost story oh okay mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah my friend emily that i'm staying with right now um we used to be roommates in college and uh we lived in a house where some creepy things happened and not all of them were easily explained. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to get you to tell that at some point, to be totally honest. <laughs> I can. And- we'll, we'll save it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the episode right before Halloween. There we go. There we go. Uh, so <laughs> for this episode, we get to talk about, or I get to talk about, I guess, and I'm going to make Karen talk about um, one of my personal favorite horror genres that often people express surprise when I say that this is one of my favorite horror subgenres, um, giallo, or as I like to call it, giallo, because I'm uh, American and I say, <laughs> and that's how I say things. Um, but you're a, a New Yorker too, aren't there a lot of Italians in New York? Yes, there are, but I am not one of them. So. <laughs> Whatever. I'm like I'm like a wasp. I'm a wasp in Eastern European. That's pretty okay. much what I got. <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> so I, I, people express surprise that that uh, I actually like this genre, partially because I think because I'm female and therefore I'm not supposed to like movies that primarily involve. Uh, black gloved killers murdering naked women um <laughs> but i do actually really really love this genre it's so bizarre it you know the the quality of the films varies from the truly excellent and like iconic to some just real trash uh and sometimes they blend the two as well like you can watch a movie that you just say oh this is really good and then it just falls into trash You're like why am i watching this why is this even happening um <laughs> honestly it does not surprise me that you like this genre <laughs> 
because some of the movies that you love i'm like huh really and we're talking american movies i'm like interesting like your uh your palate your taste for movies and i'm not i'm not suggesting that it's in any way bad it's just it's it's different and (laughs) slightly unusual and i think that that what i do know and what i have experience of giallo like it makes sense to me (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad that it does. It it is actually a very popular subgenre in, in in horror, and so it's it's not surprising that I like it. But um, so I'm going to start just by talking about uh, what giallo even is, and like how how are we going to define it? And giallo, like a lot of of subgenres, uh, is very flexible in how we define it. It's um, the way that Americans usually talk about giallo is is as these particular kinds of horror films that they're horror films, but they're also mystery movies. So usually they're, they're actually, and we tend to forget about it, they're actually whodunits often. So there's, we're often introduced to a cast of characters um, and we know that murders are taking place and the question becomes, okay, who is the killer? And you know that one of the people that, you, that uh, you've met or that you've heard about is the killer. So bizarrely enough, a lot of Giallo are actually based in like things like Agatha Christie mysteries. Um, which is not quite what we associate. The reason why they're called giallo uh, is because this was um, a, a this this was derived from a series of pulp novels. These were basically Italian pulp novels, um, some of which were just Italian translations of you know Agatha Christie stories or Edgar Wallace stories, Rex Stout or Edgar Allan Poe things like that. And they were published like a lot of pulp paperbacks in in these paperback editions with just yellow covers, so hence giallo. Uh, What this kind of turned into when it came to film is that in the 1960s, um, a number of Italian filmmakers began making films based upon these books or based upon concepts within these books uh, that began to take on other characteristics. So they're very often giallo films are very pulpy they're very violent. They're very like sex- sometimes very sexually explicit. Sometimes not. Uh, there are definitely giallo films that do not include just like naked women getting stabbed, but that tends to be one of the major features of these films. <laughs> oh, the first giallo is usually uh, credited to Mario Bava's *The The Girl Who Knew Too Much*, which is sort of a riff on Alfred Hitchcock's *The Man Who Knew Too Much*. <laughs> and and is pretty much a straightforward mystery film. It's in black and white. There is a lot of violence. There's a lot of kind of almost hallucinatory images, but it's for anyone who has seen later Giallo films like um, like any of Argento's films or some of Baba's later films, it's very, it's it's odd to say that this is the first Giallo because you look at it, you go like, oh, it's kind of a, a sort of pulpy, more or less standard mystery movie. Um, that that takes some interesting turns and it's actually a very well-made film, but that's that's 1963. The height of Giallo usually occurs, is usually labeled around 1968 to 1978. And that's when you really begin to get these um, violent, often hallucinatory, often sexually explicit stories, usually featuring what is known as the black gloved killer. So you actually, the only thing that that the viewer sees of the killer is a black glove holding a knife or a hatchet or something like that. Um, And then what begins to happen is some of these are just excuses for basically softcore porn. Uh, Some of them are much more heightened (laughs) from that. 
Uh, and like I say, sometimes they fall into more trashy, trashy areas and sometimes are actually practically art films. A lot of Dario Argento's most well-known films are like, if you actually look at the way that the colors are composed, the way that he composes shots, the choices that he makes, they're very close to being art films. Um, so it's an interesting tension, I think, that exists within Giallo films. And they also become very influential on, uh, on American filmmaking and the, the, the rise of the slasher film and the way that the slasher film looks in the 1980s is very much a partially a result of Giallo films. Um, because you can see, the if you watch a lot of Giallo, you can see where the influence for people like Wes Craven and John Carpenter actually come from. Uh, so there are lots of different films to talk about. One of the things I wanted to start with was sort of some of the tropes. Well, I'm just curious though, before we jump in, like, I don't know if you know this question even, but, or the answer to this, but, um, like as these films started to come out, like how well received were they? Was this something that kind of people eventually sort of came on to you and really liked, or were they really popular out of the gate or like, how did that work? They, they were trash films. Like they, mm -hmm. these are, these are films. And you, if you look at them, a lot of them are very low budget. Um, particularly a lot of them are, are essentially being made, like I said, they're being made a, as an excuse for softcore porn mm -hmm. uh, and, and sort of having kind of an overlay of respectability in the sense that they're, they're riffing on this very popular genre that is already there. Um, these, I mean, they're, they're well received in the sense that people went to see them yeah, that's but what I mean. These, yeah, these were not like beloved, uh, critically acclaimed. <laughs> these aren't one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> no, no. I mean, actually, probably now they are because everybody yeah. like uh, at least some of the bigger ones like Suspiria or Deep Red or Blood and Black Lace and stuff like that um, are are much more well received now. People recognize them as being these really influential and really important horror films. Mm -hmm. uh, but I. Yeah, it's it's interest it's interesting the way that we perceive things. I think that part of the reason why we like Giallo now is that it's so stylized and it's so um, kind of entombed in its own time period. These are like if you watch these films, this is like swinging '60s soundtracks and very like a lot of them actually take place in the fashion industry. Um, which of course is an excuse to murder a bunch of beautiful models. Yes. But there's also that sense of, of, um, of, you know, style and quality and being like, you know, cool costumes and cool cars. There, <laughs> there's some sections of these films that it's basically just, you know, women posing for the camera. And it's like, I don't even know what's happening. Why this is in <laughs> a movie where, you know, you've got like, you've got this killer running around in a red cloak who is murdering all of these people. And it's like based in this long-term family curse. And we've got these long sections of, you know, models posing in front of minis or in front of Roman uh, uh, monuments. <laughs> so I don't know, it's weird. It is a weird genre and it's kind of difficult to trace sometimes like what is considered uh, what is considered giallo, what isn't. But generally the, the tropes that kind of go into it are um, the, the concept of the whodunit. The, so you usually have a setup where you've got murders are being committed. 
Um, and very often the opening shot of a giallo film is or the opening scene of a giallo film is going to be the first murder or one in a series of murders. So you kind of start out with the hook as it were. <laughs> um with someone getting killed and at that point it, it it's entire the the whole purpose of it is to is to hook the the viewer in and to kind of establish the fact of what is going on um but so usually it's a series of murders either committed by one person or sometimes committed by multiple people so it plays with those kind of agatha christie tropes mm-hmm. um almost always being committed by a black gloved killer as i said so you only see the gloves uh, and there is a, a definitely an undercurrent of fetishization and things like that, which I will talk about in a minute. Um, so when did you get into Giallo? When did, when did start, I get into yeah. Giallo? When did this start for you? Yeah. <laughs> Suspiria. Yeah, How old were in, you when you saw that? Uh, I was in college. Okay. <laughs> uh, so. Oh yeah, see, you're I not was... like Kristen where you were watching like Friday the 13th at age six. No, that would have scared the <laughs> shit out of me. I would never have been able to watch it again. Like, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I've got some friends, one of my very good friends, the first horror film he ever saw was The Exorcist when he was like eight. Oh my gosh. Well, mine was Poltergeist and I was like six. See that, I, that would just scare the hell out of me. Oh, I was scared it? of Abbott and Costello me Frankenstein at the age of five. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, no, I didn't even know. I didn't know anything about what Poltergeist was. My aunts, my dad has two sisters and they convinced my mom that it was just about this nice family in the suburbs and I don't even think that because they I don't think they had seen it either so I don't think they really knew what they were getting me into but because it was rated PG (laughs) there was just this assumption that it was kind of a Casper level scary movie and so they convinced my mom it would be fine and they let me watch it and to this day I cannot I get freaked out looking in mirrors (laughs) and I can't have my closet open at night, like all that stuff. <laughs> well, Poltergeist isn't pol. It's like Poltergeist and Gremlins are the two that kind yeah. of caused the creation of the PG thirteen. Um, it happened two years later. I actually was just researching that this week because someone asked a question about it. Um, but it happened two years later, and I think it was. I think those two definitely were part of what instigated it. But um, in nineteen eighty four was when they when they brought in pg-13 and there were some movies that year like 16 candles came out and has a naked girl in the shower and it shows her boobs you know and it has the f word and stuff but it didn't quite meet the the level to be rated r so it was rated pg Mm -hmm. um that kind of thing so it was in the summer of 1984 that they finally came out with the the pg-13 rating Mm mm-hmm so, but I think it was movies like Poltergeist and Gremlins and yeah. Ghostbusters and stuff. It just kind of built to that where it was like, yeah, we need something in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I know, I think the Poltergeist and Gremlins tend to be credited with that. That it that, And if you look at Poltergeist, it's like, that is not a PG movie, right? That's no. not something that, that small children should be watching. Really. Right. But it's also not an R-rated movie. Yeah, you know, not It's not violent enough or bloody enough or disturbing enough to be rated R so yeah i yeah. know it's weird yeah uh, <laughs> when it comes to giallo for me it, it was suspiria and this is interesting because there is this open question about whether or not suspiria is in fact a giallo film uh but i i saw it i think it was my i was a sophomore in college sophomore and junior in college 
And uh, every year during Halloween, my friends and I would would rent a bunch of, this was back when you could rent movies, guys. Uh, <laughs> we would rent a bunch of horror films and we would just hang out at home and eat candy and watch horror. And so one of the ones that I hadn't seen and that I had heard about was Suspiria. So we got that. And I remember watching it and being like, this isn't scary. Like there's nothing really scary about it. And, and then we all went to bed. <laughs> and the next morning, not a single one of us had managed to sleep. And we were just talking about sort of like, so, so you guys all have the same dreams. We did not all have the same <laughs> dreams, but we did like all of us. And one of the things that I think I really liked about Suspiria ultimately was that it's one of those films for me, at least that gets under your skin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel it's scary, but you can't quite pinpoint. There's no like shock moments. There's no surprise. There's no like jump scares or anything like that. So it's difficult to pinpoint what in that film is frightening, but it really does, I think, get into you. And and it, it certainly got into me and it got into uh, all of my flatmates. And we were all like, yeah, that was really frightening. <laughs> like none of us slept, None. all of us had had really weird dreams. You know, it was- Well, and I think that like, that ultimately is the mark of a really great horror film because I think that, I mean, we tend to, especially here in the States, like, the rise of torture porn came about because there's sort of this weird idea that to have a really good horror movie you got to see a lot of blood and guts and you know and to me the best horror is not like you mentioned it's not about the jump scares it's not about you know the high body count stuff like that it's it's the things that just kind of really just maybe creep you out and stay with you and when when a movie can can continue to do that after you finished watching it i think that's that's just that's really great stuff and i think suspiria is a perfect movie for that yeah absolutely i mean i mean let's let's talk about suspiria because suspiria is kind of considered by many to be the height of argento's career so this is dario argento who is in terms of viewing uh in terms of giallo masters he it's like it's basically him and mario baba and i'm Mm -hmm. sorry for everybody who like probably has you know says fulci or someone like that um these guys really are actually did elevate these films to to the point of art um whether or not they're even coherent films it doesn't even matter (laughs) suspiria is incoherent in a lot of ways like try to follow the plot of that movie um, and what and like what is actually happening? There is like one section where there's exposition, and you're like, "What? What the fuck are you talking about? I am not seeing any of this." And it's literally one scene, and then the rest of it is, is just a nightmare. Um, but so Suspiria is is a weird giallo film in a lot of ways because it's it is it does dwell in the supernatural, mm-hmm. and it's obviously about supernatural it isn't just a killer going around murdering people there is actually like a coven of witches that are operating out of a ballet school um and and it is a very weird and nightmarish experience so i don't know i love suspiria i could probably spend the entire episode talking about it but but what are your feelings on it karen uh, i really like it i first saw it a couple years ago when luca Guadagnino's remake came out I had never seen it the original and so I watched it to have something to compare and it's it's actually a little too bad that I did that because the movies are very different from each other but they blend together in my head 
<laughs> so there are certain things where I'm like, did that happen in Argentos or Guadninos? <laughs> Was that Dakota Johnson or <laughs> so, so, but I think that it's, um, yeah, I love Suspiria. I love the, the look of it. I love this idea of like, I always really like when there's something that's kind of the things that are not what they appear. And so when this girl goes thinking that she's going to just be a student at this great school, really wanting to, to just be, you know, become a better dancer or whatever. And <laughs> the next thing she knows, she's in this weird, like nightmare kind of. And, and I don't know, it's, it's such a cool movie. Um, we could talk about it a lot. I don't know how much, I don't know how much to even say right now. Um, it's, it's a, in some ways it's a difficult film to talk about I think because it is nightmarish and, mm-hmm. and I, I like so when I say that it's incoherent it does have a it, it is connected like it, it is clear yeah. sort of what the basic plot is and I feel but, like it doesn't fully come together what that is until you get to the end and see the big like once you really can see the whole the whole piece spread out together then it's like oh, okay this all makes sense yeah, yeah, to to a certain degree, definitely. It's uh, but it it does have this nightmare logic to it, mm-hmm. and so some of some of the scenes where you know she's wandering around just the corridors of the um, uh, of the school, and nothing is actually happening. So what we get are like these, you know, this soaring soundtrack, and it's and part of it is also the Goblin soundtrack, which we should talk about. <laughs> um, but so you get the soaring soundtrack, you get these weird visuals, you get these, you know, absolutely saturated color palettes, and nothing is actually happening, right? There's no violence that you're seeing, but you're kind of waiting for it, and it is that sense of not being able to completely situate yourself in the school. Like, I mean, trying to figure out where the dormitories are in relationship to the performance spaces in relationship (laughs) to anywhere that they are in that school. Oh, it makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. None of it makes sense. And, And it's like, this isn't connected, but I, but it's connected in this kind of dream logic sort of way so mm-hmm. that there is this sensation of this sort of makes sense but it makes sense in the way that you know when you're running in dream if you're running down a long hallway and the hallway just keeps on getting longer and longer yeah and I think that that's what makes it such an effective film that it isn't proposing tons of violence it isn't proposing like tons of these visual terrors right but it just creates this atmosphere of tension and of fear that gets into you like I say it gets under your skin and it's it's very um compelling in a lot of ways mm-hmm. yeah and uh and I think that most of Argento's films are like that to be honest um and he made more straightforward films in his uh in his good career uh there, but there's there a definitely... reason that we don't talk about those as much true I'm guessing I haven't seen them, but <laughs> well, and no, but I, I, I think that you know. So, so you were mentioning before we started recording, you're mentioning the films that they have on Shutter right now, mm-hmm. um, and so they have like Cat and Nine Tales, they have Deep Red, uh, which is usually kind of paired with Suspiria as being two of his best. Um, they have, I think, they've got like Tenebrae and uh, yeah, Phenomena. Do. Uh, and and things like that and all of those are actually with the exception of Suspiria all of those are much more linear clear films where there's like a murder and there's an investigation and there are continued murders and and you've got characters trying to figure out 
um, who the murderer is, right? The, that, those are the basic plots. And, and what makes them entertaining, what makes them interesting are the, the visual flares and the aural flares and the way that he puts everything together. But they're much more recognizable in a lot of ways, in a way that Suspiria just isn't. Mm -hmm. so, why, do you, why do you think that is? Uh, why, is it why because they they're they're more accessible? Like, is it? Uh, I don't know. Because Suspiria is kind of an. I mean, obviously, it's kind of a weird movie. It's very interesting. It's very different. Um, and it's it's funny because I know people who love it. I know people who hate it. I don't really know anyone in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you talk you talk to people, even people who like uh, who like Argento's work, and and very often the the two films that come up are Suspiria and Deep Red. And Deep Red, um, which I was watching yesterday, and I've seen it a couple of times. Deep Red is a much more linear film. Um, I think that one, of, I, and I think that that's one of the reasons why people there are people that like deep red and so i i do think it's because it's more accessible um in in the sense that there is more of a plot to follow <laughs> <laughs> there there is more of a like okay we, we can be situated so so one of the things that happens in deep red is that you've got a character uh, played by david hemmings who witnesses a crime and okay. Uh, the crime is, and then he kind of becomes obsessed with sort of following the trail of this crime until he eventually becomes the target of the murderer himself. Uh, and so that's the basic idea. Like it's it's a very straightforward plot in that sense. Um, and and he's kind of digging in deeper and trying to figure out, you know, why, uh, why these crimes, because more crimes are committed, obviously. So why these crimes are being committed, how they're connected and, um, and what like, you know what is what is the reason behind it? It's almost a psychological investigation, uh, and that's a really easily recognizable plot. That's a plot that you know we're used to seeing in literature, we're used to seeing in film a lot. And like I say, what what sets Deep Red apart is the visual flourishes that Argento incorporates into that. That there are these weird tracking shots of just like close-ups of various tiny objects in a drawer and you're not quite certain why this is happening most of the time um but it establishes this sort of more nightmarish quality to it but the difference is that hemmings the hemmings character is not really in the middle of the nightmare whereas uh the character in suspiria is she's she arrives at the school and she's in the middle of this nightmarish place and kind of trying to find her way out of it. Whereas Hemmings is much more distant. He's more of a, um, a witness to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, and it, it brings up one of the interesting dynamics that develops in Giallo, which is that uh, the difference between female Giallo and male Giallo, and by that I mean, uh, who is the protagonist? Mm -hmm. So in most male giallo films, the, the protagonist is usually a, a male character who's an outsider. So he's, a, he's uh, English, uh, an English tourist traveling in Italy, um, or a, like in, in the case of Deep Red, this is a, he's an English pianist who uh, lives in Rome, right? So he's, he's not completely immersed in the culture. And what happens is he witnesses a crime. 
usually there's there's one and I think it's bird with a crystal plumage where the crime actually takes place in like this completely glass building so the the uh, witness sees everything that's happening on both floors of the house mm -hmm. and what and so he sees the killer come out of the room upstairs and go down the stairs oh. and is and like keeps on shouting and trying like banging on the door and trying to get in and trying to warn the person who's in the house who, who can't hear him because she's playing music too loud. Oh my gosh. And so it's this really effective and frightening uh, and voyeuristic kind of they, representation of murder. They used to seem like that in Hush. Mike Flanagan yeah. did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's a really effective horror film technique because mm -hmm. it, it places and it places the it's interesting because it's this layer of um, of voyeurism essentially. So you've got right. the viewer right in the audience watching the protagonist who is watching the murder take place. And of course, none of the people involved can do anything about the events that are happening. Mm -hmm. uh, even though you're just like, no, do something, do something. It's like, no, you can't, you can't do anything. She can't hear him, all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and it's very frightening. And I think it taps into some of those fears of like someone being upstairs or in the back seat and not seeing them until it's too late, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of male giallo kind of follows that, that uh, train where then the protagonist having witnessed a murder um, and usually not being able to see the killer's face, obviously, then becomes obsessed with discovering uh, why the murder happened, who the killer is, um, and, and, you know, stopping him before he kills again kind of thing. Cool. The other side of it is the, the more female-based giallo, where you usually have a female protagonist who's often also an outsider. Uh, but in this case, she, like, uh, like in Suspiria is kind of plunged into this very subjective nightmare where it's much more about not just what is happening around her, but her psychology. Mm -hmm. And and this is where Giallo very often begins to get accused of misogyny. I was going to say, is this kind of the objective object versus, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, like where the the woman becomes kind of the object of the story rather than the yeah she's not she's not really active in the sense that she's not mm -hmm. the observer right she's involved in it in into to a greater degree right um so and very often when you talk about Giallo, you're talking about voyeurism and who is allowed to look and who isn't right mm -hmm. uh which you know we could talk a little bit more about that in terms of slasher films but so that that's the um that's the usual tension so so when Giallo be begins to be accused of uh, misogyny, it's, it's very often in the representation of the female protagonist, because very often she's represented as being either, either promiscuous or sexually repressed, um, of having like perverse desires at some level. And, and very often those perverse desires are not completely revealed like it's it's not like you know what are her perverse desires exactly <laughs> but um doesn't matter she just has them yeah exactly but but even this this weird attraction to the killer right so it becomes this sort of game of cat and mouse between the female protagonist and the murderer where she both wants she wants to know his identity and she also wants to be murdered by him uh, and there's very often that. So I, I think that we can see how the how Giallo and slasher films relate to each other in this <laughs> sense. Um, yeah, 
So I don't know. What do you think about that? I know that I'm kind of just going on because I've watched too many of these movies. <laughs> well, and and that's that's where it's like I feel bad because I have very little experience with this, and it's a genre that is very much a blind spot for me that I would like to do something about, and I was going to try to this week, and it just didn't really work out. But um, but I've read some stuff about giallo films, and I think that or gialli it would be the plural <laughs> but uh gialli, yes. <laughs> yeah gialli you gotta say it with the i i know people can't see me but i gotta do the hand motion too like the, the finger clasp thing you know gialli but anyway uh, i digress but um <laughs> <laughs> it never happens on this podcast no not me <laughs> um but yeah no it's it's um it's definitely one that is intriguing and it feels like it feel I mean I'm sure a lot of Italian uh cinephiles really love some of these films but I think that it's one that hasn't made its mark as much here in the states and you know just looking at at like a list of films that have been made over the years it's kind of a it's kind of a subgenre that had its heyday in the 70s they were still making them in the 80s but then it kind of drops off and um and so i think just looking at the viewing habits of modern american viewers um they don't tend to go back and watch a lot of older stuff especially when it comes from other countries so i think that's part of why some of these are really hard to find here um and why there's only like four on shutter but they're really well marked so you can easily find them there um one of the great things about them is they have their collections but but uh can we talk a little bit about <laughs> some of these titles yes yeah, so i think that we should because I, <laughs> I, I love these titles <laughs> <laughs> the title the titles of gla like i said are, are very often uh, uh much better than the actual films and in fact in, in my experience the better the title the worse the film <laughs> so like you know suspiria okay well that's a, that's a good title but it's not like a really it's kind of a mysterious title mm -hmm. like, oh, this is interesting or you know deep red or things like that those are the better films and then you begin to get some of the more elaborate ones and i'm just like <laughs> And yeah, you kind of want to watch them just for the titles, which I think was the point. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Like I'm looking at this list and it's like blood and black lace. Like, okay. And then you look at what the other title is for it. The also known fashion house of death. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like uh, Lisa and the devil, which is actually a really good um, uh, kind of later Mario Baba film that is is excellent like it's a fascinating film in a lot of ways but the other name for it at one point it was recut and it was called the house of exorcism <laughs> right so it's like yeah you've got this really cool kind of you know proto art film Lisa and the devil ooh it's sort of fairy tale like and then it's like the house of exorcism yeah <laughs> um yeah i'm just looking through some of these that are just so fun like um the killer has clean hands <laughs> i my favorite is honestly your vice is a locked room and only i have the key oh, that's like, awesome that is a great title <laughs> it is not a great film um it How is about death laid an egg <laughs> i've never seen that one actually the other one is a uh, strip nude for your killer oh yeah that, that one's fun like, yeah um, <laughs> um hatchet for the honeymoon like how do you not want to see that movie 
That's also great. known as Blood Brides. <laughs> That's actually a good movie. <laughs> Kill the fatted calf and roast it. What? <laughs> yep. Uh, Four flies on gray velvet. Black belly of the tarantula. Um, Lizard in a woman's skin. <laughs> great all all the colors of the dark i think is a really interesting title actually yeah yeah Um, that one is interesting um death occurred last night (laughs) (laughs) it's so just like polite death occurred (laughs) uh cat of nine tails of course a bay of blood which i maintain is um it's a great film it is literally nothing but murder like it's just there's there's only the barest hint of a plot throughout that entire film but i maintain that it's actually a satire because it is funny like it's actually and i i really think that is that a lot of the time it is deliberately funny Mm -hmm. um one of the reasons why and i we often talk about kind of the two sort of masters of the genres being dario argento who is not funny um and mario bava and bava has this this tongue-in-cheekness to a lot of his films uh, and Bay of Blood is one of them where it's it's just, it is the most basic kind of giallo plot. It's literally a bunch of people on an island and just everybody's getting killed. Everyone. <laughs> um, in like increasingly gruesome ways. That sounds awesome. And, and, but watching it, I was just like this, they're like jokes. Like the people make jokes about the murders. People make jokes during the killings. And by the end of the film, just like, I'm pretty positive this is not to be taken seriously. (laughs) This is not some artist being like, oh, yes, I am making a great horror film. It's more like, this is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) So it has an alternate title, Last House on the Left Part Two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that has nothing to do with anything, honestly. (laughs) That's so weird. Like, Um. I'm trying to... (laughs) That's well, that's the other thing. A lot of these titles have nothing to do with what actually happens in the movies. Like, like don't torture a duckling is Is there a duckling? There is no duckling. There is no torture that I remember. Uh, It's actually a very well-made whodunit that doesn't really get violent or bizarre until the very end when you kind of get the reveal of who the killer is and why the killings are happening. But most of the film is this fairly straightforward who done it where it's like oh this is really good so i i do think that definitely some of these titles are definitely to get um viewers in seats it's mm-hmm. it's not for really expressing the reality of uh, of what happens in the movie um what about slaughter hotel is there slaughtering in hotels i have probably not i have not seen that <laughs> one but i i am willing to bet that there is no hotel <laughs> And that that does not actually, (laughs) and if there is a hotel, no murders actually take place in it. (laughs) Well, now I got to learn more. Let's see. Oh, it's also known as Asylum Erotica. For God's sake. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Oh, it's a mental hospital. (laughs) Okay, there you go. (laughs) Not a hotel. It's also known as the Beast Kills in Cold Blood, according to the the list. (laughs) That's it's fun. just but you know a lot of this is is kind of in, in a more serious sense is sort of expressing the you know these kinds of films and we have pulp movies in the united states as well where you know we even have even if they're not pulp we have 
film posters that, you know, are designed to get people into seats. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing a film poster for The Day the Earth Stood Still, and which is a great film, but the poster like has this mostly naked woman being carried around by the robot. And it's like, that does not happen. That's not from the film. Nothing like that ever <laughs> happens. There's not even like, there's not even a hint of that. <laughs> and so I, I do think that a lot of this stuff really is just about getting butts into seats. And, yeah. and, and that's part of why you get, so, so like I said, there, there's a lot of emphasis on nudity and sexual perversion and things like that. Um, and some of it, some of it is integral to the plot in some of these films. And sometimes it's just totally gratuitous. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just like, oh, we're just going to have these models walking around naked because that's why people came to see this movie kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, those Italians. <laughs> <laughs> but these do actually influence, uh, you know, t- talking about the fact that maybe people don't watch these as much. I think that people do watch them but they watch very specific ones. Like most horror fans know Argento. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of horror fans know Bava. A lot of horror fans know Fulci. And some of these guys have had longer, have had careers beyond uh, the 1960s and 70s, obviously. Argento is still making movies. I don't yeah. know why. Um, <laughs> Did you like his movie Giallo from I'm 2009? Not, <laughs> I have not seen it. I do not watch any Argento films past about like 1980. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they get really bad everybody like i'm just saying that he lost himself somewhere along the way <laughs> late career directors don't sustain their brilliance what <laughs> we never see that no absolutely not although one of my favorite argento films and again big question as to whether or not it's a giallo is a uh, phenomena which is very good and it actually stars um jennifer connelly oh young Jennifer Connelly and she's very good in it Jennifer Connelly and Donald Pleasance and it's about a girl who has a psychic connection to insects like you do as one does and of course this this then feeds into the murders are being committed uh (laughs) and 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 it sort of helps her to solve the the mystery of all of this uh but (laughs) but it's it's a film where almost very little actually happens like most of it is just sort of okay we have this mystery and this girl's psychic connection she's friends with this professor um who has a pet chimp who like helps him do things and and then the last 10 minutes of the film when i say that everything happens in the last 10 minutes of the film i mean it like every everything that you can think of that would happen (laughs) in the last 10 minutes of a horror film happens in this movie and when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is interesting. You know, it's like, it's sort of kind of slow moving. And then, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> and it just gets weirder and weirder. And I swear to God, there is no explanation for it. Like, I remember watching being like, wait a minute. I don't know. I don't think that that's even possible. I don't know that this is, that this is a thing that can happen. <laughs> and and, and one of the, the things that I think indicates this is that at a certain point in the film, the chimp, there is a independent scene with no transition, no like clarity as to why this is happening. There's a scene in which the chimp walks across a, an empty park in the middle of the night, goes into a trash can, pulls out a razor, 
like a straight um, razor and then walks away with it what's and and that's the scene and none of the scenes around it connect to that scene in any way and i remember sitting there the first time i saw this movie being like okay the chimp with a razor better fucking pay off like you cannot mm-hmm. just drop that into the middle of the film and that better and it does it <laughs> actually pays off and i was like okay Argento, i I respect that. I respect the fact that you just dropped that scene in the middle of the film and that it actually paid off at the end. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, everybody watch Phenomena just because it is one of the weirdest fucking movies. <laughs> I'm going to see if it's available anywhere. Hold on. I, I want to I think that it's on Shutter. Oh, really? Cuz I didn't I, I don't, I I mean, I've been scrolling through Shutter a lot, but I don't remember seeing it. Doesn't mean anything. Um, Available on Prime Video. Oh, it is on Shutter. Yeah, it's on Prime Video, Tubi, Canopy, Shutter, and IndieFlix. See? Lots of places, so no excuse. Yeah, so so these these films, obviously, in talking about them, there's a wide variety. Oh, I was just going to say yes. Yes, there is. So there's a wide variety of these kinds of films and most of them are very, very bizarre. Like some, some of them I think are very difficult to watch because they're not particularly well-made. Um, you know, I encourage anyone who's, who's actually interested in watching Jello films to, to start with Argento and Baba just because they're, they're better made films than a lot of the ones. A lot of the ones that we just listed are just not very good. Would you uh, recommend if 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 someone that were listening to this were going to jump into Giallo and didn't have any experience with it, um, would you recommend going in like chronological order? Start with early Baba and move forward, or just kind of jump around? Whatever's available, whatever you like. I think that some of it is whatever is available. Um, Baba's films kind of run the gamut, uh, but most of his films, uh, at least the height of his career, are, are really, really well-made films. Um, and one of the most famous ones is Black Sabbath, with mm-hmm. uh, which is actually a trilogy film. It's it's much, it is much closer and much more recognizable, I think, to a lot of um, English language viewers to something like uh, the Roger Corman films with Vincent Price, oh, okay. right? Where you've got you know, uh, Twice Told Tales or Tales of Terror, things like that. We have like three separate stories, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so Black Sabbath. And Black Sabbath, again, kind of feeds into my concept that Baba is not taking himself 100% seriously because the, the film ends actually with kind of the camera pulling back and revealing the, um, the, the film set and oh. people like do, doing things like shifting scenery and uh-huh. mimicking, you know, horses galloping and stuff like that (laughs) and so there's more of this there's this kind of humorous attitude of like oh this is sort of this is scary but this is also kind of a it's a playground right it's this is an amusement park we're sort of playing with all of these things Hmm. um none of this is serious you know not so you're seeing people being stabbed or getting their heads cut off and stuff like that and it's scary and everything but it's not it's a it's kind of a joke it's a ghost story you know 
Oh, um, okay. So something like Black Sabbath or Black Sunday, which is um, actually a black and white film, and it's about a witch who comes back, and, and again, much more recognizable in a lot of ways, especially for anyone who's watched film, the uh, similar like Roger Corman films from the 1960s. That you look at these films, you're like, okay, yes, I I know exactly what this looks like. So I I would definitely start with things like that. Um, And and then on the other side, Argento is just he's an experience, I think. And his best (laughs) his best films are truly great films, Mm -hmm. and his worst films are truly horrific films. but you know, pretty much every one of his films that I've seen at least has something in it that is is entertaining. It's much more, I don't know, it's kind of art house horror mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that he's really playing around with a lot of uh, with a lot of the tropes and um, and a lot and like the way that the cameras the way that cameras can move, the way that the camera can kind of become this subjective experience. One of the things that Argento used a lot um, and that, you know, maybe we want to talk about for just a few minutes is uh, the idea of first person perspective. Um, Usually taking the perspective of the killer. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, this happens a lot in uh, Deep Red in particular, Deep Red, Tenebrae, um, Opera, where you actually get murders taking place or sections of the film that are told from a first person camera's perspective. So the camera actually taking the point of view of a character um, of the murderer. So you you begin to get clues as to the murderer's motivation and the murderer's desires and all of that via the camera itself. And it, it feeds into some of those concepts that we've talked about before about voyeurism. Uh, in, in particularly in slasher films or in horror films where the camera becomes this almost male figure that is participating in the murder and it's kind of forcing the viewer to participate in the murder. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've seen Peeping Tom, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's very similar to that. So like what Peeping Tom does is picked up basically by a lot of giallo films and, and particularly Argento and they kind of run with it. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? I've been talking a lot. <laughs> well, and that's my fault because I don't have a ton of experience with a lot of this, but, um, but yeah, I think that that, uh, that putting yourself in the killer's POV um, to quote screen four um but I think that it can really, um, especially like the way it's done in Peeping Tom, like it it can really add to the heightened sense of, um, of fear because it's like now, like you just mentioned, I'm kind of in the driver's seat. I'm sort of the one that's doing this, but I don't want to be. And, but it's like, you're completely powerless to stop what's about to happen, but you feel like you're participating in it. And it's such a, um, such an interesting and like creepy way to do it, but such a an immersive way to do it too. So I think that's a a cool a cool little like trick of the of the filmmaking to to do that. Yeah, um, it was that way in a few scenes in like Friday the Thirteenth too, where you get kind of put into the first movie. You get kind of put into Mrs. Voorhees's pov a couple of times as well and i think it can be really effective when it's done right 
Yeah, it, it makes the viewer culpable in some ways. Yeah. That, that you, yeah, you're, you're unwillingly participating in the murder. And, and you're also, and I, I think, and this is, this is the other question of interpretation, but I, I think that it's, it kind of forces the viewer to look at themselves to a certain degree because we are, we are using these films as entertainment, mm-hmm. right? So we're sitting now, we're willingly going to horror films or slasher films, we're sitting down and we're watching these movies where the expectation and the pleasure of the film is watching people die. Yeah. Right. And we know that it's not actually people dying or anything <laughs> like that. But but that's what we're that's what we're experiencing. We're experiencing that kind of vicarious thrill um, of death and of violence. And particularly when you're talking about slasher films or uh, or jello films, a lot of it is the the excitement over you, you know, one of the things that Jello uses a lot is the um, the the intricacy of the crime right so it's very creative ways of murdering people it isn't Mm -hmm. just getting stabbed it's like you know people getting decapitated by broken window frames and things like that (laughs) right so and and you you come to expect that and we see that in slasher movies too um you look at something like halloween where it isn't just michael going around stabbing people right it's like you know pinning the guy to the wall with a knife you know or we were talking about summer party massacre where you've got this guy with a drill running around mm-hmm. um and part of the pleasure of that is that it's there is something funny about it yeah um but also that it's creative it's like oh isn't that a clever way to murder someone <laughs> and that's kind of what we're expecting so so when you're you're putting yourself in the position of the killer itself there there is the sense that the audience is participating and that the audience is is almost culpable in what's happening. So I think it does, to a degree, at least turn the camera on the viewer and say like, you're a part of this, you know, this, this is part of the entertainment that you're asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, Hitchcock does this a lot too. Yeah. With uses the same kind of idea of, it's the audience participating in the murder mm-hmm. and gaining pleasure out of that. And what does that, mean you know how what does it say about us as a society really and that's why the scene with arbogast falling down the stairs is so great and does not need to be changed psycho (laughs) it's true Mm -hmm. it's true i swear if one more dude says they they should change that they should fix that scene that's the one thing i'd fix like shut up oh god you're missing the point that was like it was a couple months ago or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you had to where, deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where some where someone was like, "Oh, what is the perfect? What do you consider to be the perfect film?" Right. And and I was like, "Well, for me, Psycho." Right? And he's and like, almost, "Ain't wrong." No, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> almost immediately, some dude was like, "Some dude who I think doesn't even follow me." Like that's what. Oh, I, I thought it was the guy that posted it who was arguing with you. I can't. I honestly can't remember. I would have to go back. Yeah, but. Uh, but yeah, it was just immediately going like, well, you don't think that scene where Arbogast falls down the stairs is, is you know, you, you wouldn't change that. I was like, no, I wouldn't actually. <laughs> and yeah, but, but again, it's great. It's subjective, mm-hmm. right? You get this sense of, of actually falling down the stairs and he's facing the camera who is his yep. killer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's well, and effective. yeah, and like you have to look him right in the eye. And that's one of the things that's cool when the, pov shot is you know is from the murderer and 
you have to look at the victims, like look them right in the face. And it's different from when you're just watching it happen, like from the side, you know, or from behind or whatever. It's a very different experience. And you're kind of like, in some ways, you're kind of like watching the light leave their eyes. And it, it makes it a much more uh, visceral experience if it's done well. Yeah, it becomes much more horrifying. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I think that, again, we do treat these films as amusement park rides at some level. Yeah, we, we treat them they're they're there. We're there to be entertained by them. Um, and I like it that when every once in a while when films do that to you, and they actually say like, Yeah, but what are you? What are you being entertained by here? <laughs> you might yeah. want to think about that for a moment. You know, why do you find this pleasurable? You know, mm -hmm. and yeah. and I think that that is important. And and it, it also does. I, I like the idea, you know, I think that the concept of voyeurism in cinema has maybe been overplayed a little bit. We've talked about it to a degree that it becomes like every single film is voyeuristic. Right. <laughs> um, but I think that it's true in, in certain ways and particularly the films that play with different degrees of voyeurism. So not to continue to talk about Hitchcock, but Rear Window, mm -hmm. where the, um, uh, and I can't remember the James Stewart character's name right now, but so he's, he's watching his neighbors. He's using his neighbors as entertainment. Yeah. Uh, and he's kind of invested in their lives and he cares about their lives, but he, he's also not involved with them. He gets to distance himself from them. Well, he cares about the made up lives he's assigned to them. Yeah. And, and then there are those moments when. It's Jeff, by the way. Jeff, there you go. Yeah. Um, see, it's just so fucking forgettable. Uh, <laughs> it's such a boring name. <laughs> uh, now I'm thinking is is um, Nadia Jerf. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> She's so great. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, this is the podcast where we just suddenly like, hey, remember that scene in <laughs> what we did in the shadows? Yes. <laughs> too um but yeah but it's that same kind of voyeurism it, it's so so we're watching right the viewer is watching jeff watch these other characters and we're kind of taking his perspective in a lot of ways um where we're sort of following the stories as you say that he assigns to them and then there are those moments when the reality that these are people's lives kind of come in so when miss lonely hearts right tries to kill herself mm -hmm um and and is ultimately saved when and then more serious even more seriously in some ways at least in terms of, of the plot of the film is when uh um the killer actually looks back at jeff yeah and and i remember a lot of people have described it as just like it's when you're looking into the void and the void suddenly looks back um and that's what's really frightening about it because it's this moment and it's a moment for the viewer as well where suddenly the people that you're watching and the people who you're sort of rooting for them not necessarily to suffer but to something to happen mm -hmm. right and some of the things that are happening in the in the, in this sort of scenario are is murder and violence and suicide and things like that um and then suddenly those characters, these people that you're sort of distanced from at some level, turn around and look at you and begin to invade your space. 
And I think that that kind of use of voyeurism in cinema is really, really effective because it does, again, it's that sense of turning the camera on the viewer and saying like, you know, you are, you're culpable in some ways, you're participating in this, you're participating in the voyeurism that you're also sort of repelled by in some sense. Yeah. So, which is, which is actually something that Giallo does really well, whether or not it's intentional. Uh, I think that some of it really is just like, oh, isn't this scary or isn't this pleasurable, right? But um, a lot of the time, I, I, I do think that there, there is that element of like, you're, you're playing along with a game in which you are enjoying death. And that's something that we do in pretty much every horror film we watch. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about really briefly is, you know, let's talk about the, the sort of influence that Giallo has had. And I think that this is where you will probably have more experience, Karen, because you like slasher movies. I do. Uh, and you saw the Suspiria remake. Mm-hmm. Um, have do. you seen like any of the any of the contemporary films that have kind of been labeled Giallo, like Knife Plus Heart? Um, no, I've been meaning to watch that one. That's a good, that's also on Shudder, I believe. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's like, I've scrolled through Shudder so many times and I see it and I'm like, I need to come back and watch that. And then I just don't. <laughs> so it's, it's um, a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. It's sort of a riff on, it's a riff on Giallo. It, it plays with um, one of the other trips I didn't really talk about, but uh, that is definitely part of, of this, uh, of the genre, which is, and again, it's where it's where uh, questions of homophobia begin coming up is uh, the use of, of homosexuality and particularly male homosexuality, uh, uh, transgender and cross-dressing and things like that. What used to be referred to as cross-dressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Knife Plus Heart kind of takes those queer elements out of Giallo and uh, sort of does something more with them. and actually, again, kind of uses them as a mode of talking about homophobia and talking about the violence that is sort of encouraged by homophobia. And it's, it's a really interesting film as a result. Hmm. So, and then of course the other one is the Suspiria remake. Yeah. So what do you, I love the Suspiria remake and oh, I did not predict I that I would. <laughs> <laughs> no, you thought you were gonna hate it. Uh, I did. Because of how much you love the 77 film. Mm-hmm. and. I think because it takes the elements and the very basics of the original film and turns it into something that feels, feels different. um, I think that's why it works so well. It's not a straight remake. I do think that the, the whole Tilda Swinton as the psychiatrist thing was weird and unnecessary, but it's also kind of fun because it was like, what a fun exercise that must've been for her, you know? (laughs) And I heard they were pretty mad when people figured it out before like when the first pictures were released before the movie ever came out but um but yeah no i i think it's i think it it still captures that essence of like there's something wrong there's something very creepy you don't really know what but it's not overtly scary other than like that one scene where um oh my gosh it has the scene where the girl is dancing in the mirrored room and yeah Olga yeah like that honestly is one of maybe the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in a movie the way that she's just is basically just torn apart and like oh I, I can't even describe what's really happening there but it's so disturbing but also 
so weirdly beautiful in the way that it's shot that you just can't look away even though it's completely horrifying what you're seeing yeah I think that that's something that Guadagnino does really well that um that is in its own way kind of related to Argento's work mm-hmm. in that he makes in a completely different way right yeah he makes those sorts of sequences really gorgeous Mm-hmm. and the way that he films them the and and also it's horrifying but it doesn't show too much right right I think that that's part of it that it it treats this like really horrific event as a dance yeah right and so you get that kind of this literal breaking of the female body and bending etc which you see a lot in ballet and that's like the part of the commentary that's going on there um and then of course it's taken to, to this horrific degree Mm-hmm. yeah and it's like you know what's happening because you can hear it and you're kind of seeing it but it it even takes a bit to realize really what's going on at least i thought so but um but yeah oh it's such a cool scene and really horrible at the same time <laughs> well and i think so i i actually has i actually started a couple of years ago writing an extended piece on the on suspiria uh, that I never completely finished. But one of, one of the things that I had thought about when I saw the film was the way that it, it takes, I wouldn't say that the original Suspiria is particularly misogynist, but I think that it takes some of the concepts in the original Suspiria and it kind of, it gives them more of a feminist bent mm-hmm. and treats them in a more feminist way. And one of the things that it does is, is it takes, because Suspiria, both, of, both films are heavily feminine yes um they are about women and the ki- even the killers and the, the witches and everybody involved is pretty much women and in mm-hmm. the, the new suspiria i think the only major male character is the psychiatrist who's actually played by a woman right um and the only have other- like the police detectives but they're not in it very much they're yeah they're barely in it and they're and they're mocked right there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of mockery of men and of maleness um running throughout that film and so i think that it's interesting to take a film from a genre that is is very often considered to be sexist if not completely misogynist um and to kind of like like i said with knife plus heart to kind of shift some of the conversation without actually uh without actually damaging the 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 concepts without actually um like affecting the tropes Uh so you're taking the genre and then kind of playing with it a little bit more and using it to different ends i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah no that makes sense Mm -hmm. so yeah guadagnino really did an interesting interesting thing with that with that film and i I, one of the things i really liked about it actually and it was one of the things that i was afraid i was going to hate is that it's complete visually it is completely different from mm-hmm. Argento's film like it is not he is not trying to replicate that yeah which I was pleased by because yeah. why you know right well and that was the question that we had when we found out he was even making the movie and and when it was getting ready to be released it was just like why is this a movie that he felt like he needed to remake and I mean, we've talked a lot about remakes on this podcast, but it's like there should, if you're going to remake a movie, there needs to be a good reason to do so. And he had one and he used it and he made something that was very uniquely his, um, while also 
using the concepts and the elements of the original that he is drawing inspiration from so he it was a perfect example of when a remake is done well and done right yeah absolutely and i i believe that guadagnino has also i don't know if it's been planned but um i believe that he was intending upon making the other two films in the series really yeah it's mother it's uh suspiria mother lacrum and it's it's tear i have to look it up again Hmm. um it's darkness, tears, and size. So mother, mother of darkness, mother of tears, and mother of size. Okay. And so there should be there are two other films that he could make, and I believe that yeah, uh, Argento has Argento did make all three. Mm-hmm. Um, Inferno is I think mother of tears, and uh, and then he also made a very late and is apparently very bad. I have not seen it yet. Um, uh, mother of darkness. Yeah. So, yes, I, I don't know, but I'd be interested to see what else Guadagnino could actually do in that world because he's got such a fascinating, um, he's got a fascinating look, I think, or mm-hmm. outlook on, on these kinds of stories. Yeah, he's an interesting director. He is, he is definitely. So I think that that's probably gonna close this out. I don't have much more to say about Giallo, though like I said, <laughs> I could probably go on about Suspiria for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So after this entire conversation, Karen, are, are there films that you just feel you are definitely going to go and watch? I am definitely <laughs> going to go watch Don't Torture a Duckling and Cat of Nine Tales because those are available to me <laughs> very easily. True. True. There's also a whole bunch. I have to say Prime has a lot of, um, of Jello films. Like they've got a uh, Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye, The Red Queen Kills Seven Times, The Blood Spattered mm. Bride. Uh, I think they have Black Belly of the Tarantula. Um, yeah, my, my big thing is really try to seek out some of Mario Baba's films because they're, they're very different from Argento's. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that in, in some ways they're not nicer, they're more, they're more entertaining. There's more, like I said, there's more of that sense of humor to them. Okay. Uh, but it's that, you know, this is kind of a game that's a little bit ridiculous. I know that Kino has Kill Baby Kill, uh, Baron Blood, which is Joseph Cotton, like as an evil, uh, as an evil ancestor that gets <laughs> uh, raised from the grave. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Bay of Blood, Hatchet for the Honeymoon. Oh yeah, is Bay of Blood is one I want to see too. <laughs> yeah, Hatchet for the Honeymoon is actually really good. Shock is fairly good um i say black sunday and black sabbath i think are, are two of his best definitely so yeah cool check it out check it out a lot there of homework to do <laughs> <laughs> check it out there are plenty so that is i think going to close us out and uh thank you so much for listening to us and as always we want to thank our our patrons um that, that include heather adriana michael james katie cariata mason matthew michelle monty nanina nicole Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Um, I want to thank you guys again for continuing to contribute to us and for helping us keep the lights on and also making me force Karen to watch more uh, <laughs> Jalo films because I'm not going to let her off the hook on this one. I'm going to ask her about this next week. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you would like to contribute to our Patreon, uh, that would be awesome. Of course, we understand things are weird right now. 
Um, but we do have a Patreon that's patreon.com slash citizen dame. You can also go to our Zazzle store and buy some of our merch, including masks. Everybody mm-hmm. wear your masks. Uh, that's zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. And if you want to just give us a few bucks, but don't want to make a commitment right now, that is also awesome. We do have a Ko-Fi account and that's co-fi.com slash citizen dame. And as always, there are a multitude of ways that you can get in touch with us. We are on Twitter and Instagram at CitizenDamePod. We have our email, that's CitizenDamePod at gmail.com. So you can send us questions or comments or, hey, what's the matter with you that you don't like Fulci as much <laughs> as you like Argento Fulci is even better. It's like, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> we also have our website. Uh, that's citizendaypod.com and I've got a few reviews up from the New York Film Festival I think that Karen is going to have a few from AFI mm-hmm. yep. uh, and a couple of other things so we're going to continue to update that and and have more reviews blu-ray recent films you know there are actually films that are coming out amazingly it doesn't feel that way uh, but <laughs> we will be there that's citizendaypod.com and yeah, and of course you could get in touch with both of us uh, for uh, just to ask questions or to say how awesome we are. I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am at, Car- what am I at? Karen M. <laughs> Peterson. <laughs> so it reminds me of the time that I was like, oh, on Twitter at, at Citizen Daybot. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to give out my email address. No, that's not fun. <laughs> I mean, you can, but I, I wouldn't, I, no. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> so that will close us out. Thank you so much for listening. Go and watch some murder and mayhem. Bye.